I want to thank you guys for being such troopers hanging out. I know we have long days at this conference, but I hope every session you attend, even no matter how fried your brain might get, that you get value out of it. That's what I'm looking for, okay? So I got a couple of my mentors and friends up here. Um, these guys I've known for years. In fact, Kent Graziano back in Denver introduced me to Bill. Um, and that was a blessing. And then, of course... You knew Bill before me. I knew Bill before... But I reentered. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you wrote you... a book with Bill before I knew Bill. Really? Yeah, the Universal Data Models. Didn't you write that with Bill before? Oh, you, you didn't meet Bill till after that? No. Oh, okay. I guess I did. I guess I can take credit for that, guys. I didn't know I could take credit for that well, one. There you go. There take you credit go. for that one. All right. I, I mean, I'm, I, I met Bill at Lockheed probably as you were writing the book or before. Yeah, yeah. about that time. About, about that, that time. time, yeah. But then um, Bill didn't actually become my friend until he knew that you knew that I knew that you knew him. Ah. I uh, Do you follow that ontology, guys? There's a lot of relationships going on there. As the saying goes in my world, I know people. I know people that know people. And they hopefully know the people that you know. But anyway, we're all in good company. So we're sort of here as a fireside chat. So this, this is the way I'm going to where's run the, it, whether the fire? you want it or not. huh? Hmm? Where's the fire? Where's the oh, fire? Yeah. So put it up on the monitor, would you guys? Put a fire up on the monitor. You got a picture of one. All right, so that's coming. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm going to ask these guys to tell one, two stories, whatever they want, and then we're going to open it up for questions that don't come from cell phones. All right, so any questions? So be thinking about questions you want to ask Kent or Bill uh, or myself, and, and we'll just try to chat with you guys in an easy way. So um, Kent, would you honor us with a, a story from your background that you did not give us in your presentation today? <laughs> I know. He says he wants a story. I was like, I Jeez, I think I gave all the best ones, but then he reminded me, I, I actually, I worked at HP for... Uh, we have fire. We have fire, yes. Oh, it feels so good. There, there's one up here too, just in case you want. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I actually left Denver in 2006 to move to Texas to take a job with HP to work on their internal EDW. Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> uh, I had already had, what then, I guess, four years of doing Data Vault with Dan uh, at Denver Public Schools. And think, oh, this will be good. This is like, what a great opportunity. Little did I know. So HP, as you know, is a very, very large tech company. And they were you know, going about building their own internal data warehouse. Point number one that I didn't know is they had just fi finished V1 and half the staff quit because <laughs> they had been run into the ground for like several years to meet completely unrealistic deadlines on, well, um, hardware that had not yet been proven. So the CIO at the time was Randy Mott and the CEO was Mark Hurd. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Randy Mott was the CIO at Walmart, and Mark Hurd was the chief dude at NCR slash Teradata. The two of them basically invented Teradata together at Walmart. They were going to reinvent a competitor for Teradata at HP that they called NeoView. It was based on, so this gets better, this goes back to CJ's talk yesterday. It was based on tandem nonstop. 
which CJ mentioned yesterday as being one of the first relational databases out. It was a high-speed online transaction processing engine that HP had bought. And they're going to re-engineer re it to an OLAP engine. <laughs> they were good because they wanted to buy, have an MPP that would compete with Teradata. So I think you can all see what's wrong with all of that, right? So that's what I walked into to be uh, a data architect, which was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Where's Alexis? Is she still here? She may, yeah. She's around here somewhere. So Alexis is in the room. She works for Wearscape now. She was one of the data modelers at HP when I, I joined that. That's how I know her. And I found out data architect was not data modeler. <laughs> data architect turned out to be the guy who got to sort of kind of analyze the source system flat files from SAP BW Ooh. to figure out how to map them into a loading area using something a little less, a little, no, a little more primitive than SQL Loader. Yeah. And then I got to talk to Alexis and a bunch of others on data modeling. So that, that was the first part of it. And I spent a year and a half trying to convince them we should use an agile approach. Didn't happen, didn't happen. They said it wasn't possible, couldn't do it. I mean, major, this is global teams. The thing that finally did it was that um, in one of the things that was going on at the time, in addition to building NeoView and trying to have this massively parallel machine that the whole world was gonna love and they're gonna throw Teradata out and you know, we're gonna replace all the Teradatas in the world with NeoView, uh, they decided to do a data center consolidation at the same time and shut down all the data centers around the globe that HP and Compaq and Tandem and DEC had all accumulated in you know, 30 years at least and consolidate to three data centers in, two of them were in Texas, right, Alexis? And one in Atlanta. Yeah. As a part of that, they had to decommission the CDW, which was the Compaq data warehouse, which was based in France. Luke, I am your father, I will boil the ocean. <laughs> and in the process of doing that, they actually did get it, they were about to get it shut down and they realized there was a mission critical data mart for supply chain that all the VPs in Europe relied on that fed off of that CDW. And no one had moved any of that data into the new NeoView EDW. And so we got the job, we had three months to make sure that that data mart did not fall over, that we completely re reproduced all of it, the sourcing, the ETL, and the reporting in NeoView in three months' time, or people were going to lose their jobs, probably me being one of them. Uh, so that forced them into listening to me about Agile and the fact that we needed the business people involved, we all flew to France for a, and drove to Grenoble from Lyon. We got into Lyon and then drove to Grenoble and spent a day and a half getting the download of what this thing really did. And you know, this was the, how did nobody know that the source was coming from something that was scheduled to be shut down? Nobody knew. It's like, it, like they figured it out that day while we were there. Um, so we went back to Houston. Houston, we have a problem. 
Luckily, the directors in charge of this thing actually were in Houston as well, and we ended up becoming the war room nomads. For the next three months, got the business guys who knew SAP data and the supply chain business to sit with us in a war room every day with myself, ETL developer, project manager, and crank through understanding the SAP data, reverse engineering the dimensional model that they had already there, and figuring out what the feeds were, and writing ETL scripts, and running them, exporting it into an Excel spreadsheet so the business guys could then compare it to the screens in SAP. And with that, we were able to iterate very quickly because as soon as we got the data and we extracted it and we transformed it, we were able to show it to them and they go, wait, that's wrong. Well, how can that be wrong? Well, it's missing this, this, and this, okay? And one time we found out the calculation was wrong. Well, why is the what's wrong? Well, we switched it. Well, that's not the formula you gave the programmer, you know, two hours ago. So we were doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we violated one of the agile rules of you know, having a uh, consistent pace of work so you don't burn out the team. You know, we were working like 18-hour days for three months. Uh, but that was the, you know, the nightmare Agile project. And I think Alexis was on the other end of probably emails from me because one of, they had rules. Had to be uh, SOX compliant, if anybody remembers that. Um, so we could not change the data model ourselves we had to write up the requirement for the change and send it to the data modeling team, which was not allowed to be part of our Scrum team. And so we had to send it over the wall to them. They had to put it in Irwin, process it through there, generate the DDL, send it to the DBA so that he could run it. And of course, the development DBAs went home at six. <laughs> so we spent one night waiting for the scripts to be run, uh, but we had to go back and forth like that. So just to add uh, a couple of them where we had to add like two columns to one table because they had failed to tell us that in the requirements that they needed those two columns. And it took like 24 hours to turn that around because I was not allowed to touch Irwin because I was a data architect, not a data modeler. This was Hewlett Packard. Uh, well, Mark Hurd was the CEO. Before the split. Before the, yes, before the split. Yes, it was before the big, the big split. After the merger with Compaq, after Carly was that team, and then, yeah. Anyway, so that was a, that was a fun two years. I think they're still trying to build a data warehouse. Oh, well, NeoView, actually, I talked to somebody a couple of months ago. NeoView is still running. They have not been able to decommission it uh, because there's a bunch of stuff being calculated off of that that we built that they haven't figured out how to redo yet. And, that's, uh, and that, this was 2008. So, yeah. long, long time. So, at least it's still running. Meanwhile, that's, not, that's only half the story because he and I were having phone calls talking about how to get DataVault into NeoView. Kent kept calling me going, DataVault will solve all these problems. And they just won't listen to me, damn it. <laughs> yeah, there was no, da no DataVault in my world for three years. Yeah, it was a sad day for the, oh, for the DataVault community. But anyway, <laughs> Bill, thank you. Thank you, Kent. Bill, you got some uh, wild stories. What, what story do you want to share with the audience? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you one of, one of my favorite stories, happens to be true, is, is uh, the, the dumbest thing anybody's ever said to me in my life. 
I used to have a friend of mine named Sue Osterfeld uh, in Denver, and Sue uh, worked for a company called Storage Tech, which was also in Denver. And Sue built uh, a, a nice data warehouse for Storage Tech. And then the executives at Storage Tech found out that um, uh, people were coming to Storage Tech not to see the Storage Tech products, but to see the Storage Tech data warehouse. And this was in the early days of data warehouse. And so, uh, so they, they called Sue in and says, Sue, what's this thing called a data warehouse? And she says, oh, let me introduce you to my friend Bill Inman. So one day, Sue and I went into uh, the head of strategic planning for storage tech. Now, this man wore a suit. Uh, he had an office that, uh, with a walnut desk. He, uh, he, was, he was somewhat similar to the President of the United States. I mean, he, he, he had all of the trappings. And so he says, you know, well, you know, what, what is this thing that people are coming to storage tech to see called a data warehouse? So, I, so we started explaining to him, and again, this is in the early days of Data Warehouse, and what a Data Warehouse was and what it would do and, 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 and whatever, and, and Sue Osterfeld said, yeah, and we, we have one of the early Data Warehouses at Storage Tech. And this gentleman kind of sat back in his chair and he said, well, he said, now this is the head of strategic planning for a storage company. And he says, well, thank you for telling me what a data warehouse is, but I don't see any relationship between the demand for storage products and a data warehouse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I, I looked at Sue, and she looked at me, and she rolled her eyes, and, and, uh, and, and six months later, they were out of business. Uh, they, six months later, they got sold to uh, Oracle, I think they got, yeah. got sold to... And, and uh, but I thought, here's this man, the head of strategic planning for a storage company, and we're telling him the, the biggest single future consumer of storage products, and, and, and he didn't get it. I said, you know, what kind of clowns are they hiring in this position? And uh, so anyway, that, 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 that unfortunately is a true story. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Thank you. So before I open it up for questions, uh, you guys want to hear one of my stories or no? Yeah. It's okay to say no. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As long as it's not Lockheed Martin. Oh, no, no. This, this one is. <laughs> All right. So once upon a time, I lived in Denver too, right? So I had to because I, I met these guys and we used to joke around that uh, it was the BI Center capital of the world and there must have been something in the water. That was the joke amongst us, right? But... That's not the story. Anyway, the real story is in Denver, there was this company. I don't think they exist anymore. Uh, it was a huge telecom called Quest, and they serviced most of the Western states. And today, there's a, there's a medical diagnostics company called Quest. That's not them, right? So this, this doesn't apply to any company in existence today. And I don't know, are they still uh, in operation? It was U.S. West, yeah. and they got bought, and that quest was basically Q West. Q West, yeah. Q West, so yeah. It's letter Q in front of it. Anyway, so it has no relationship to any company today. So I just want to make that clear. If anybody ever watches this video or goes outside and talks about this story, just make sure you clarify with whoever's listening that this is, this is where this came from, right? All right, so they called me in to do a, a, a data warehouse. And uh, they had a team to build the data warehouse. Uh, a guy was a fan of the stuff I was doing with Data Vault in Denver, and of course I was holding Lunch and Learns. You guys ever attend one of those uh, long days ago? 
those of you with gray hair may have attended one or two, right? I got gray hair. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I'm there. Catching uh, up. And I'm a grandpa. Grandpa. You guys know yeah. that. I'm a new grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I've joined the grandpa club. Hey, card-carrying card member. Okay, so proud of it. Uh, so this, this story is a little bit not so proud of it. But anyway, uh, they wanted a data warehouse. A friend of mine, uh, he really was a friend of mine. He worked under the director of IT. So he was like three steps down from the CIO. Called me in. They were, they were trying to build a data warehouse uh, on Data Vault prototype. And they were struggling. They were using Oracle, and it was lots of data, and they wanted some help with some parallelism and some data vault tips and some training. And so I did a four-hour thing, right? And at the end of four hours, I was to come back the next day. So I came back the next day. They said all the stuff that I gave them was great. They showed the load performance had dropped, you know, like 68% or 70%. This was back when I was doing performance tuning when you had to, right? If you're on Snowflake, Snowflake takes care of a lot of it. You still need the human factor on some of the things, as Kemp mentioned. There's always a data architect or some bits to fl flip, but there's less of them. And I, I actually like the fact that there's less of them for me to manage. I, less, less memory as I age anyway, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's a joke, folks. Come on, you can laugh. All right, so the real, the, the real part of that. So I came back, the performance had improved, and he said, okay, well, now, now I talked to the director about all your suggestions. And they want you to come and help us build one. They like the prototype, right? So we want to build a prototype. With So I went ahead for the next three weeks and sort of worked with a team of five people. And we built a prototype. And that went really well. And the director said, OK, well, um, that's really cool. You delivered on time and in budget. And it looks good. And of course, it was using dummy data for, for development. Dummy data is, is nuts. Uh, so then, then they, uh, they said, well, um, the CIO has asked that you build it. We have 15 years of history in this other, our, what they call legacy uh, data warehouse. You guys ever heard of one of those? I don't think they exist anywhere, but, you know, it's legacy, legacy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, legacy, right. Legacy. Yeah, he got it. Oh. All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, they wanted, they had 15 years of history in a legacy data warehouse. So my first question was, okay, before I signed this contract, and you want to build a data vault, right? Not, and what, what is your legacy data warehouse defined to be? And of course, the answer was Kimball, right? No problem. I mean, everybody was doing Kimball back then. That was the industry standard. And, you know, and I, just to be clear, I'm not against Kimball or star schemas or dimensional analysis. Bill and I and Kent and I have all had these conversations. We would have done great things together. And you guys all know this from Data Vault world. We still use Kimball and dimensional analysis on the end of it for information delivery. It's a very valuable tool. So, and this is more for the benefit of anybody watching the video who's never heard me talk about this. So, you know, you can fall asleep at that message. But anyway, let me get on with the story. So, it was Kimball with 15 years. Then my next question, you know what this comes from. I said, where is your original source data? Right? I said, if you got 15 years of history, you must have a source system or you must have backups with original source data. So my friend in the warehouse team says, I need to check on that. I said, okay. So I left after half a day, right? So I was supposed to be there the rest of the day. We were supposed to start, called a halt, said, we need an answer to this question. We can't proceed without it because what we build is auditable, right? That's what we build, right? So we don't build one unless we can audit it and successfully pass. So I left, I came back the next morning, long story short. This won't be a short story, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, see, I'm long-winded, that's just how it is, deal with it, right? <laughs> All right, so, uh, 
So I come back the next day and I say, did you have an answer? And he said, yeah, but you won't like it. I said, okay, lay it on me. Bad news is bad news. We gotta work through it. So he goes, well, we don't have any backups of 15 years of source data. I said, well, where are you gonna get 15 years of history? Well, the CIO and the director came back to me yesterday and said, well, the only place we can get it is out of the star uh, schema. legacy star schema. data warehouse. I said, that's your source. Is, yeah, I said, is that data at a raw level? You know the questions go, right? You, you, yeah, we can still work with it if it's raw, right? At some, some level, if it's raw, the fact's raw. Well, no, see, that's, that's the problem. They, they, they're, they've been aggregated. Uh, okay, um, so we can't audit it. No, no, I said, well, what do you do, and here comes the kicker, right? What do you do when the business rules change? How do you get new data out of this 15-year history when the business rules change? He said, you're really not gonna like this one. I said, I said well, you're my friend, just tell me. He goes, well, uh, <clears throat> I'm embarrassed to tell you, he says. We take the data, and he's pausing every sentence, right? He's like waiting for my reaction. We take the data, I'm going, yeah, come on. Take the data, we take it out of the star schema. Okay, wait a minute, all 20 years you pull out, right? Uh-huh, and we roll it through the new rules, all of it through the new rules. Uh-huh, yeah, and where does it go? Oh, it goes back into the star schema. Wait a minute. Bill's definition of a data warehouse is immutable, at least one piece of it, Yep. right? Immutable. Why are you calling this a data warehouse? He said some, and my friend said, some marketing fool says that this is, has to be a data warehouse. <laughs> it's not immutable. I said, it's not auditable. He goes, I was afraid you were gonna say that. <laughs> and then I said something that blew his socks off. I'm sorry, we can't build a data vault. He went, what? I said, we don't build data vaults that aren't auditable. He said, well, I'm glad to see you take a stand. He said, I said, yeah, damn right I'm gonna take a stand. I just came out of Lockheed, we just got past an audit, and you know, well, sorry, there's a Lockheed reference. I couldn't, couldn't avoid it. <coughs> I gotta give my friends a hard time, come on. But um, it's all in good fun, right? This has nothing to do with Lockheed. But I told the guy, look, we have to have an auditable data vault, right? If we're gonna build a data vault, it's gotta be auditable, we gotta get raw source. He said, well, let me check and see again if, if we can get raw source. And he said, you're serious about not building one if we can't find it? I said, absolutely, I'm gonna walk from the contract, won't charge you any more money, won't cost you anything, I'm just gonna go. He said, you cancel the contract early? You're a consultant. I said, he said, are you crazy? I said, you know, it was a significant amount of money, right? Six, eight months, 10 months of full-time consultant. You know how this goes, right? I was charging a pretty penny because I knew Bill, right? <laughs> yeah, I could get Bill in there. So of course I'm gonna charge because Bill's gonna come back and go, they're who? I don't wanna step foot in there. Bill, here's some money, I'll buy you lunch, right? Luckily it didn't come to that. But here's what happened, and this is close to the end of the story. Closer to the end of the Closer. story. Closer. <laughs> I'd be clearing my terms with these guys. I'm gonna nail to the wall here. All right, so, so, yeah, so, right, I need an ontology for all this storytelling. But, uh, so, I go home, come back the next day, and he goes, you're not gonna like my answer. I said, let me guess. You couldn't find any, right? The same answer as the day before. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you guys, so I reiterated, you guys take the data out of what you call in it data warehouse. I said, that's not a data warehouse. He says, I know. So it's not immutable. He says, I know. I said, well, you take it out, you munge it, and you put it all back in. He says, yeah. I said, well, how in the world do you answer to the federal, uh, was it FCC, yeah. for, uh, for the books, right, when it comes to financial decisions that you change every year and you have to produce an audit trail on financial? Anybody ever heard this before from your financial people? Yeah? Anybody in here have a financial background and have asked IT for that kind of thing? Yeah, right? So he goes, well, that's the funny thing. They're flipping bits in the financial reports if they don't like the answers coming out of the data warehouse. Oh. I said, where's your version control? So you must have version changes of the rules so that we can back the rules out. He goes, um, no. I said, okay, I'm done. Um, he says, he said, the, my friend said to me, well, hold on a minute. Before you go, the CIO said he wanted to talk to you. And this is the part that is true. I mean, it's all true. It is all true, honest to God. Um, but um, he says, the CIO wants to talk to you. I said, okay. I'm not afraid of sea levels in case you hadn't figured that out yet, right? Um, so I walk in there, CIOs, CIOs looks agitated. I'm like, okay, he's agitated. He goes, shut the door. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I walk over and, you know, doors open this much. It's like closing, so I push it shut. I sit down. He says, sit down. I was going to sit down anyway, so I sit down. He's like, he likes to be in charge, right? He's a sea level, you know, like a big mahogany desk, a window that looks out over Denver. I mean, big office, right? I'm important. I don't give a sh excuse me, right? But anyway, I didn't say that. But, it, you know, so I sit down. I'm being respectful and polite. He says, are you the consultant that told my team that you're not going to build us a data warehouse after we went through all that contracting bullshit just to get you in here? I said, yes. I said, well, why aren't you going to do it? You're the first consultant to refuse work. This is impossible. You can't do this. You know, you have to accept this job. We need you to do this. You've got to do this. I said, first off, I'm independent, so I don't have to put up with this kind of stuff, right? Second off, the contract has an out, and here's the clause. And I literally pulled the contract out. I had walked in with my bag and a suitcase, right? At that time, I was carrying suitcases. Yeah, once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, Bill's always surprised. You wore a tie? You wear a suitcase? You have a suitcase? Yeah, I did. I don't anymore. I no need. Now backpack's good enough, right? But, so I pull out the contract, and I, I, I looked at the term and at the out clause. I had a feeling this would come up, um, so I did my homework the night before, and I, I read the clause to him. He goes, well, that, that's legal mumbo-jumbo, you know. You still have to do it. I said, no, I don't. In fact, here's my resignation. You know, I'm done. He says, how dare you? He starts laying into me, starts yelling at me. How dare you quit? You got to build this thing. We contracted you to do this, and you can't tell me that it can't be done. He said, what's the real reason you're going? I said, you got no auditable source data. He went red as a beat. I couldn't tell whether blood was flowing to his head because he was so angry he was going to explode or whether I'd said something like, I knew something that I shouldn't have known, which was actually true, uh, about the fact that they were cooking the books, which was actually true. That's the punchline. So here's what happened. He said, get out of my office. Go. I don't ever want to see you again. You, I'll make sure you never work in this town again, which didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, 
good luck with that. Yeah, I basically <laughs> almost said that under my breath. I held my tongue. I didn't say anything else. I almost said, yeah, I know a lot of people who know a lot of people that could uh, remove you from this earth. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I came out of a DOD environment. I got friends who don't exist, okay? <laughs> Not only in my imagination. <laughs> they don't exist in the real world either. Anyway. All right. So they've, they've been deleted. Yeah, there you go. Ne never to be recovered. There's no, there's no help for them or hope for them. They're null. They're null. And they, CJ told us nulls don't exist. Well, in that case, they're void. They're void. All null right. and void. Null and void. There you go. So I walked out. My friend called me like a week later. He says, be glad you quit. I said, really? Why? I mean, I sort of knew if there's no source data, you can't audit. I knew something funny was going on. But I didn't know exactly how deep it went. He said, the CIO had plans. He was going to set you up to take the fall. Turns out the board of directors the very next day, not just the board, but six, six board members and the CFO, and even the CIO, got indicted for cooking the books. The FCC Fraud. was stinging them. They stung them the next day, took them into jail. Put them in jail. I was going to be the fall guy for their warehouse not answering the questions correctly for the last 15 years. So, you know, my words of advice come from a song. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. To walk away. Know when, when to walk, to walk away. away. And know when to run. Know when to run. That was the run, yes. So, fold and run. You know, like I said, I stand on the shoulders of giants, in this case, a literary song giant. But the lesson here is don't build it unless you can audit it and you know you can pass. Because if you know you can pass, you've got raw source data and you can pass an audit. Sure, there's an error of margin that you can get by, and they do allow fixes. They realize systems are, have the flaws, and humans have flaws, and they get into systems. But if it's beyond that error of margin of tolerance, where you might end up in jail, don't be building that system. Don't be signing that contract. That's my words of advice. But this is a true story, folks. A true story from my background, from my past. I was literally shaken. And on the news that night was the sting and these guys getting cuffed. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So not such a great story, but there you go. Some well, loaded with some anecdotal evidence. But. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the class, which is why, explains why you taught the class when I finally took a data vault class from you was probably a couple of years later. Yeah. I think yeah. this had to be around 2000, 99, 2000. Maybe. Right. Yeah, because I had been at US West through that acquisition right. myself as right. a consultant. When he taught the, it was like, this was the very first data vault class ever taught. He had maybe taught a couple sessions before, but it wasn't even Data Vault 1 at the time. He emphasized over and over and over again to the IT people that because of things like SOX compliance as a result of Enron, and you didn't mention Quest when you said this, um, that we don't want to be in the position of having built-in undocumented business rules into the data warehouse because when people go to prison and get fined for cooking the books, you don't want them to be able to look at the data warehouse and say, you tech people changed the data. And so he always emphasized in the class, business rules, 
have to be signed off on by business people. And you don't code anything into, well, we didn't call it the business vault at the time, but you don't code anything into the information mart transformations that somebody in the business did not sign physically on a document. Yes, these are the rules we want you to implement. And that was the reason why is so that you don't end up in this situation. Um, I think going back to if it's not auditable, you, yeah, let's start there, right? If it's not auditable, forget it. Uh, the McKesson story I told earlier, that other, the, the really squirrely um, thing that I was working on, the non-data vault, data vault, one of our sources was a data warehouse because they didn't have the source data, but that data warehouse was at a granular level, so we were able to pull that data in, but we actually got directed to take the data from the current data warehouse and put it into the new data vault data warehouse and merge it in with all the other data because it was the only source of one set of data. But it was at least granular. Yeah, so the, the, this is why, <clears throat> exactly why we say, um, I'm just gonna ask you a question. Are the business, imagine a hill. Are the business users, where are the business users on this hill and where is IT on this hill? Are the business users at the top or the bottom? Top. Show of hands for top. <coughs> is IT at the top or the bottom or somewhere in between? Show of hands for the bottom. Yeah, which way does dirt roll? <laughs> um, yeah, so here's the thing. The minute you change the data in a transformation process, you, you are liable in a court of law unless you have a signature that says you were told to do it. I'm not kidding. Shortly after, two years later, I read in the paper about two guys, two, two IT people in New York, these poor chaps. They didn't get sign-offs on their changes. They implemented the changes, and they went to jail for it because the business user got off scot-free, said, I didn't authorize it. I'm not kidding you. So I'm dead serious when I say, build auditable data warehouses. And this is why Bill has granted us in 2018 the new definition that includes can be or may be system of record. It isn't always a system of record, not for the everything. As long as the source system's around and still has all the auditable data in it, that is the system of record. But as soon as that thing disappears, or the data in it disappears, the only thing left is the data warehouse that has the system of record. And this is where Bill and I met our minds years and years ago, and we finally got a definition update. So, so th there's a reason why all these things exist in the data vault community. So after all of this heavy story- I was gonna say, we need something a little lighter. We now, need something man. lighter. So, I'm going to open it up. Questions <coughs> from the audience for any of us? Or Bill, you got a comment? I've got, I've got one more quick story. Yeah, go uh, for it. Okay. Uh, I, I'm from Denver, and we used to have a, a guy that I worked with in Denver named Biagio McPhee. I, I, I don't know if anybody here knows Biagio, but great guy, smart guy. Uh, I can only say good things about Biagio McPhee. Uh, but he's originally from Houston, Texas. So one day, Bi Biagio said, Bill, uh, I'm moving my family down to Houston, Texas. Oh, okay. And so he moved down there, and he got a job as uh, building data warehouses in Houston, Texas. And about, I don't know, a year later, something like that, Biagio called me on the phone, and he said, Bill, the strangest thing happened. He says, 
I built this data warehouse and I got fired. And I go, what? And, 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 and so he says, yeah. He says, I built this financial tracking data warehouse. I showed how uh, financials were being tracked in our organization. I went and showed it to management and, and, and I came back to my desk and I got fired. Not only did he get fired, but he told me his story. He says they took him out to this uh, <clears throat> dump area outside of Houston where there was a, uh, some kind of pit uh, with acid in the pit. And they, they took, a, this is horrible, they took a live dog and threw the dog in the pit and watched the acid burn the, uh, the dog up. And the in intent was that if you don't play along, it's going to happen to you. So anyway, the company he was working for was a company called Enron. And, and, and Enron had found out that uh, there was an internal way of tracking all of their financial shenanigans. And uh, I don't know if you know about Enron, <clears throat> but Enron went out of business. And the guy that uh, uh, fired Biagio, a guy named Jeff Skilling, yeah. is now in jail. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that that you can look it all up, that's a true story. And Biagio's doing fine. He, uh, he went to work at, after that with IBM and, 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 and is doing fine. But um, um, anyway, uh, you gotta be careful with your data. <laughs> we got to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we got 25 minutes. We got 25 minutes for more questions. Um, for actual got, questions. He reminded me of another story, but. Let's get some I questions. Tell if there are no questions, but we want questions. Bruce, we got a mic over there. Uh, this question's for Bill. Um, could, could you uh, tell us a little bit about how you came up and when you came up and where you came up with the concept of the data warehouse? Uh, sure. Uh, I, a long time ago, I was a writer for Computer World. And at that time, uh, the world of computing was transaction processing. Everything was uh, a bank teller, uh, airline reservation, uh, 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 do transactions uh, right and left. And I don't, know, I don't know how it happened or where it happened. I, I, I tell you, and this, this is gonna sound funny, but it's a swear to God. I do my best thinking at two o'clock in the morning laying in bed. And I, I, I think it's because my mind is, um, is free then. But anyway, uh, one day I was thinking, I thought, you know, there ought to be other uses for data. And the whole notion of uh, doing something other than transaction processing uh, was the real genesis of Data Warehouse. And I, I had it, uh, the, just in case you're interested, the words data warehouse were first spoken in Calgary, Canada, <clears throat> in Shell, Canada. Uh, I can even remember the names of the people that were in that meeting. Um, uh, a, a guy named uh, Gary Warholm, uh, a guy named Herman Popko, and a, a consultant named uh, Donna Corrigan. Uh, and I don't remember who first said data warehouse, but said, what had happened was at that particular time, I was doing consulting for uh, Shell Canada in, in Calgary. I was doing consulting for Aetna Life and Casualty uh, in, in Connecticut. And I was doing consulting for uh, a, a cellular telephone company in, in uh, uh, California, uh, Pactel Cellular. And, and what was absolutely amazing was 
from an architectural standpoint, you could take the architecture of Aetna Life and Casualty and plug it into Shell Canada or plug it into uh, Pactel Cellular. And these companies were different. I mean, from a business standpoint, there's really not a lot of uh, business uh, uh, compatibility between the companies, yet architecturally, uh, they had exactly the same problem. And so we were at Shell Canada, and, and, and uh, somebody said data warehouse, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what it's like. It was, it's like a, one of the forest fires we have in, in, in Colorado. Um, uh, somebody has a tiny little flame. Uh, the wind is blowing and it's hot and, and, and windy and suddenly this flame just, just engulfs the forest. And, and so that's, that's the story of the origin of data warehouse. But uh, the original thought was, and, and when, when I started to write articles in Computer World uh, about um, uh, the notion that you could use data for something more than transaction processing, at that time, that was heresy. It's like, what a, uh, I have this collection at home of, of what people have written me over the years. And every now and then, just for fun, I go back into my collection. But I was told that I was, should never be allowed to speak in public. I've been, I've been told that I've been sitting in our industry back 25 years. I've been called an anarchist. Uh, I mean, peop, people, people were greatly offended that the thought even came out that you could do something with data uh, 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 other than transaction processing. Now, since then, and, I, and speaking of confessions, I'll confess something to you. Uh, the first data warehouse we built uh, was for Pactel Cellular in Irvine, California, and 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 it worked, but. It, it was my first one, and I wasn't very good at it. That, that over, over the years, I've learned a lot, uh, a lot in terms of structure, in terms of metadata, in terms of uh, ETL, and things like that. But uh, <coughs> nevertheless, <coughs> the first data warehouse was built at Pactel Cellular in Irvine, California. Uh, then the second one we built was for Burlington Northern in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, uh, and then uh, and then we went from there. So that's a little bit about the origins of Data Warehouse. Next question. Where? Any questions? We'll take thoughts, comments, and stories from you too. Hold on. Sorry. Um, Boy, you're asking me to uh, uh, remember uh, the first warehouse that we built, I believe, was in about, about 1992 or somewhere in that time frame. But would I swear to that in the court of law? No, I wouldn't. But that, that's, that's the best of my memory. Before that, it was decision support. Yeah. 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 Because, because I remember when you when you came out with the term data warehouse, and we yep. were already at Walmart, and you know we were doing decision support, but it still came back to what you were you were talking about at the time. So I think you had an article out before the term. 
The first book on data warehousing, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be mistaken, uh, was in 1989. I, I, I think that's when the term was first used publicly. In print. Right. In print. Right. And I remember yeah. when the book came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bill, can you talk a little bit about how uh, you came to support Data Vault and how you kind of got together with, uh, with Dan? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? No, just wondering how uh, you came to support Data Vault. That how kind of the story I around that. How you, came, how you ended up Learning. When did you throwing your support behind Dan and Data Vault and deciding it was a good idea. Well, first off, Dan and I have been friends for longer, longer than either one of us will admit. Uh, uh, but but, but <coughs> second off, uh, Dan and I are both architects. And, 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 and to be honest with you, there are not many architects that, that are around here. I look at Data Vault as um, something that is uh, an extension of the ideas that we started with uh, many years ago. And something that I haven't talked with anybody about, including Dan or whatever, uh, but I, I have figured out uh, the other day how to start to include text into the world of, uh, of Data Vault, which I'm going to have a further discussion, not at, not at this point in time. But um, uh, Dan and I have been friend, friends and professional cohorts for many years. So I can give you another piece to that story, if you don't mind just hanging on for a sec. So, and I, I will keep this one short. What happened was I found out Bill uh, was in Denver, or lived in Denver, and I worked at Lockheed in Denver, and Lockheed was asking me a lot of questions. Lockheed brought me in, this is a Lockheed story, sorry man, <laughs> brought me in to build a, their first enterprise global data warehouse. And when I say global, I mean global within astronautics. Let me make that distinction. It wasn't global across all seven sectors, right? Or the entire corporation. It's just astronautics. But don't, don't make any mistakes about it. There were 13 companies all managed by their own presidents, all managed by their own P&L. And if the, if the president of that company didn't perform, year over year, they were out the next year. So there was a lot of changeover going on. It was hard to do anything. I was dealing with everything from chargebacks and so on and so forth. Lockheed paid Bill to come and do a presentation. And I was lucky enough to be invited to it. And there was a room full of 50 people, my, some of my colleagues and some not, some from astronautics and so on. So he came into South Denver, not all the way to Lockheed offices. <coughs> and did this presentation. I waited till everybody left the room, all right? Because I wanted, I had, a, I had a couple of questions for him. I wanted to just see if he might have some answers or some insights, because I was stuck. I was just literally, I had all the concepts, I was reading this stuff, and I'm thinking, you know, here's a guy that lives here, so maybe, maybe, maybe he'll just like me and answer my question and send me on my way, or maybe he won't and send me on my way anyhow. So I asked a couple of questions at the, after everybody left. I waited till they all asked theirs. I came up last. And Bill, I, Bill's the kind of guy, if you don't know by now, he'll wait. If you have a question and you're 13 in line or 20th in line, it doesn't matter. He'll wait around and he'll try to answer your question. He won't run out on you. He, he's that kind of guy. I mean, just really honest and open. So I'm still amazed. 
It was like 45 minutes later that I finally got to him and he was packing up and I knew he was hungry and he was tired and wanted to go. But no, he stuck around. He answered my questions. After about the fifth question, I stopped. I said, thank you very much. I have more, but I don't want to bother you. And I said, just out of curiosity, why did you answer my questions? All of my questions, why? I, you know, thank you for saying. He said, well, Dan, because I like your questions, you seem like a knowledgeable fellow. And then he said something that really surprised me. He said, well, if you have more questions, let's find a way to get together to answer them. And then, of course, I put on my Lockheed hat and I said, but I can't afford you time. And then he said something that blew me away. If, if I wasn't already blown away, he said, well, I'll tell you what. Do you like to go out to lunch? I said, yeah. He said, you pay for my lunch and you can ask me questions over lunch. I said, deal. So I took my own money because Lockheed wouldn't clear it at all. And I couldn't think of a better way. Here's the industry luminary that built the stuff that, that Lockheed's asking me to do, offering to help me. So that's sort of how it got going, right? After that, I said, Bill, I'm trying to change things, right? Because you can't, you can't create a new result doing the same old thing over and over again, right? Sort of paraphrasing the definition of what? Insanity, right? I didn't want to be insane inside <coughs> Lockheed, which is an easy thing to do. So it grew from there. After I told Bill, hey, here are the progressive changes we're making to the model. We're trying to call this a data warehouse. What pitfalls should I avoid? I mean, the whole nines, right? I went through everything. He mentored me, lectured me, taught me, right? I, and all out of the goodness of his heart because I paid for his lunches. You know, um, so honestly, uh, I'm trying to pay it forward here at the conference. Anything I can do for you guys, let me know. And I'm just honored to have one of my mentors here in the field. Um, you know. Thank you. Did that answer your question? Yeah. That we started becoming friends over the lunches, and again, he continued to tell me that he liked my questions, so he would continue coming to lunch because I was asking him good questions. What restaurants? Lots like of them. Food. Lots of lots of different ones. Bill Bill told me which restaurants to go with him too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing my mentors do for me. I've got to pay it forward, right? I, I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, uh, it, l l l let me put a little more perspective on exactly what was going on at the time. When Data Warehouse first came out, uh, the world was run, first off, essentially by IBM. I, and I hope I'm not insulting anybody in IBM, but I'm telling the truth. Uh, number one, IBM was a dominant vendor. And number two, IBM was doing transaction processing. And for whatever reason, the people in transaction processing were greatly threatened by data warehouse. I, 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 I don't know why. It's interesting. I, I don't know why. But for whatever reason, uh, uh, IBM came out and said, you know, we, this data warehouse stuff is not, not, not what we're going to be doing. And so here you have the dominant vendor in the world uh, uh, pushing against you, and I'm just one little guy. So in terms of trying to win battles wherever I could, uh, and, and by the way, I, Dan's absolutely right 
about a lot of things. Well, one thing he's right about, I, I judge people by the questions they ask. And I love it when people ask incisive questions. I, I'm polite when they ask dumb questions, but, <laughs> but, but, and I try to give them answers, but, uh, uh, but I, when somebody's asking really incisive questions, then, then that, that's what gets me going. And so at that point in time, I, w I was trying to, to uh, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> win friends and influence people wherever and however I could because, uh, uh, because the, the world of, of IBM and the, the, the technicians that were working for IBM, and again, I, don't, I never understood why they hated Data Warehouse but, and felt threatened, they, and, and, but they did. And so, so uh, when I found somebody that was asking good questions and 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 and, and was doing good work, uh, that that was what I was looking for. I just happened to get the benefit of living in the same town, and then on top of that, he got free lunches, so it all worked out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <It> worked out. <laughs> somebody having a question? Go ahead. Yes, and all of you have such vast experience. So I thought I'd ask the question. This is for all of you to answer individually. Where do you see our industry going? Bill, you want to take that one first? What, Where that? do you see our industry going? Well, I, I have to preface this by saying you've asked a prejudiced person. So I'm going to give you, uh, so you, and you understand <laughs> this is a prejudiced answer. Uh, but uh, uh, I see our industry whether it likes it or not, uh, going into the world of text. And the reason why, uh, there is tremendous, I mean, okay, over here, you've got a thousand fishermen going after six poor little fish down in the bottom over here. Over here, you've got one fisherman going after a whole school of fish off over here. And that's what's happening today because in, in <coughs> <coughs> there is a world of business value wrapped up in text that nobody is looking at. And, and, and people are just now, I'm happy to report, uh, that people are... <coughs> <coughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. People are Fire's just... Fire's a little warm. Just now uh, <coughs> discovering that... The, guys, guess what? There is a huge, there's a gold mine worth of, of stuff in your corporation that nobody is looking at. And, and, and so, uh, uh, it's, it's, so I'm a believer that, that 10 years from now, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like California in 1848. We are told by the historians in, that in California in 1848, you could walk down to the stream and pick up gold. Just, oh, hey, look, there's a piece of gold here. And just pick it up. It was that easy in 1848. Once that was discovered in 1849, then the world said, oh, my gosh, there's gold in California. And here it comes. And now it's difficult to find the gold. But at one point in time, it was like, oh, my gosh, there's a little piece of gold here, a piece of gold here. And, and nobody's looking for it. And, and, and that's where we're at today, that once the world discovers that there is this gold that's out there, 
and, and they are discovering. I, 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 I'm happy to report that uh, there are companies that are, are um, business aware uh, that are making this discovery. So I'm a, uh, we have this mountain of tremendously valuable information that's not being touched today. That's where the world's going. Kent? And just to I'll back Bill up on this one, he showed me the power of this in 2001 or so, Denver Public Schools. He came out and demonstrated a text tool that parsed medical white papers and did a heat map of the most common words that led a bunch of people to some conclusions they hadn't seen because it was the first time they were able to see all of that data in one place. And he, he proved it to me 20 years ago. Uh, yep. People are a little slow on the uptake, unfortunately. And then seeing Heli's presentation today on the uh, auto service that is parsing words and mapping, now it's putting that all together to mine those nuggets and turn them into something. So I think it's going to be a combination you know, with what, what Bill's doing, the, the AI world on top of a, <clears throat> a, a data vault methodology architecture, maybe in a data mesh, maybe not, but in the cloud. I mean, we've, we've just got so much more that we can do with this data now that we have this power in the cloud if we model it correctly take advantage of machine learning and AI and and really be smart about what we do. You know, it's every company is going to be a data company with a few minor exceptions. The ones that aren't data companies will cease to exist at some point in the competitive landscape of the world that it's going to be how successful they are will be dependent on how well they harness and get value from their data. Uh, okay. th th that reminds me of a quick little story. Once upon a time, I was invited to speak to the CEO of uh, JCPenney. Uh, and and uh, I was given half an hour and they said, Bill, so whatever you do, don't go in and talk technology. These are business people you talk. So, so I, I carefully prepared this presentation. I said, okay, I'm gonna show you how you can increase profits, how you can keep your existing customers and how you can attract new customers. And at the end of my talk, the, uh, the, the CEO of JCPenney said, uh, well, thank you, Bill, for your presentation, most interesting, but we at JCPenney are not interested in those kinds of things. And, and, uh, and I, I came home and said to my wife, I said, do we have any stock in JCPenney? And, uh, uh, no. Because we need to sell our stock if we do, and I don't know if you know it, but they're doing chapter 11 now. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, okay, here's a business. They're not interested in profitability. They're not interested in getting new customers. Uh, they're not interested in keeping existing customers. What in the heck are they interested in? That, unfortunately, is a true story. So before I answer my question, you had a thought about I something have a here. Thought. Okay, I had a thought with regard to the text thing. Uh, IBM has a product, uh, a thing called Watson, which, yep. I, which I believe. Oh is, God! Which I believe is doing that kind of stuff. What? Yep. 
<laughs> Just kidding. I know what it is. You know what it is. Okay. Yeah. So. What about Watson? Well, is that the, is that the kind of uh, future that you're looking, you're saying that needs to be tapped? Because uh, that is pretty much what IBM is advertising that it does. Oh, he's talking, he's talking marketing now. For, for, first off, First off, IBM sold off Watson. Okay. Uh, yes, they did. Oh. Why? Why? Because it was a failure. Uh, uh, b because uh, IBM promised the world uh, these great revenues from Watson, and they never achieved even 2% of the revenues they had projected. Now, I don't know. I'm not sure it's appropriate at this, at this uh, conference for me to go into why Watson failed, but, but there were about about 10 major reasons why Watson was a colossal failure. And, uh, but uh, 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 IBM's approach to, to Watson was pathetic, <laughs> is the only word for it, pathetic. So I think the answer is no. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah the answer is definitely no. We got three minutes, I'll do a very abridged version. Ken's looking at me like. Of, of the future of the industry? Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> Stopwatch. I'm not opinionated. I mean, sorry, I'm not prejudiced. I'm opinionated, which I guess in a way is another way of saying I'm prejudiced. But uh, I'm happy to say that Bill and I are working together once again on the textual ETL stuff um, and trying to find a way to bridge that gap. We had a great discussion on taxonomies and ontologies. There's that word again uh, about a month ago, I think. Yep. Um, and so we're, we're in the process of that. I think there's definitely a future in document processing. Uh, I think there's a lot of promise there. I think that's the first one to pop. But other ones that I think are very short on the heels include audio, image, and video as well. I don't think we can leave those behind. I don't think they will be left behind. There's a lot of innovation out there right now. Um, and it's going in kind of the right direction, but not really. So there are some innovations around how do you get that stuff into a what? A data, a, what, what's that called here at the conference? Data warehouse. Data warehouse, what warehouse? Yeah. Uh, uh, with a data, <coughs> a data vault, I can't data even say the word anymore. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But um, so that's really where I think it's going. So in, in reality, again, here's another Lockheed story for you in 20 seconds. Okay. We were processing images. We were processing audio. We were processing documents, not to the extent that Bill's doing, that's way beyond what we did. We did very simple term analysis, right? Extraction and analysis. We didn't do all the things that he's talking about back in the 90s, but we did some of these things. So we did innovate all of that. There is room for it in the data vault already. You just don't know it's there because I haven't taught it. So it is there, we can do it, there are ways and we're trying to work together to glue it up and we'll probably bring Kent into the fold on some of this stuff and that's the end of it. Did I meet the short story, Mark? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. so, unfortunately. The alarm, the alarm did not go off. Well, there we go, so. Um, hopefully you liked my short story. That's about as short as I'm gonna get with you. That's pretty short. That's uh, pretty short, That's the Gibbs head smack in case you watched NCIS. You ever, you ever yeah, okay. <laughs> At Donozo, right? Crazy Donozo. You can see that online. Um, okay, so unfortunately, we're, we're out of time for this. If you guys like this type of a session, um, we've had two of these at this conference. I had a lot of fun. I want to thank Bill, thank Kent. I want to thank myself. No, I'm kidding. Uh, th <laughs> thank them, definitely. Um, we'll, hopefully, we'll do it again.
break time? You, you uh, so, so maybe we save this for the next time we have Bill in here for a fireside chat. I was really hoping you'd share your Nike story. You guys want to hang out because it is break time. If you don't mind, this story is an awesome one. They want to hear this your story. The, the Nike, Nike story. story. Where you told the Nike shoe execs why. Well, it's even better than the JCPenney story. Is, that's why it is. It's, 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 it's unfortunately a true story. Um, <laughs> a while back, uh, oh, yeah. we had a consultant friend of ours at Nike in marketing uh, call us and say, Bill, uh, we need to find out, Nike's curious why Adidas is taking market share away from Nike, and we can't figure it out. So they said, can you help us? Well, we were looking for a project to work on at the time, and, and so said, sure. So we went out to the internet and got 5,000 comments from Adidas customers and 5,000 comments from Nike customers and we put them to our system. And as far as I can tell, Adidas is a well-run company. But when it came to Nike, we um, uh, uh, over and over, probably 40% of the, the comments from Nike went was, I bought my Nike shoes, they're expensive shoes, and in, in two uh, uh, weeks or three weeks time, the shoe disintegrated and Nike won't replace my shoe. And so I'll never buy Nike again. And so I thought, okay. And, and believe me, it didn't take our technology. Anybody could have gone out and read on the internet what people were saying. So anyway, we made a report up from Nike Marketing Management and sent it to them. And then their, their reaction was, oh my gosh. I said, this is embarrassing. We can't let anybody find out about all of this. So I thought, oh, okay. So not to be dismayed, we wrote a, a, not a snarky letter, a nice letter saying to the president of Nike, uh, a guy named Mark Parker at the time, we said, uh, Mr. Parker, uh, we are an independent uh, uh, firm and we have some information that your customers have out on the internet we think you need to know. And, and so we described to him uh, um, what we had found. Uh, uh, and two weeks later, I got a letter back from the president of Nike saying, Dear Mr. Edmund, uh, Nike listened to certain consultants. You're not one of them. We don't ever want to hear from you again. <laughs> and and, and uh, so I thought, oh, okay. And unfortunately, that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, because about six months later, there was a famous basketball game that was played between Duke and North Carolina. Uh, it had the largest audience of a college game at that time uh, in history. Even the President of the United States attended the game. Uh, and in the first 60 seconds of the game, uh, as, as a guy named Zion Williamson was going down the court, uh, in full view of, of the whole audience, his Nike shoe uh, uh, exploded, uh, uh, and, and he hasn't really fully recovered to this day. Uh, he broke his ankle, and, and Duke lost the game. And the following day, Nike stock went down by $2 billion. And, and, uh, uh, the, the, um, um, and so anyway, anybody ask, can you have any cost justification for doing uh, customer sentiment? Uh, try $2 billion. That, that's, and, and, and again, now, 
Every word I have said is, is, is true, and I'll tell you why, is because after all of this happened, we started getting letters from the lawyers at Nike uh, uh, saying, Mr. Emu, we don't want you talking about this story, and, and you, you better have, you know, and, and we, saved, we saved every scrap of, of, of thing that we had, so I'm, I'm, I was fully prepared. I don't want to go into a court of law, but if I had to go into a court of law, I, I could have done it because I, uh, we got the information fair and square from a public domain source. Uh, we did our thing with it, and uh, uh, but but Nike, um, uh, Mark Parker is no longer at Nike. Uh, 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 he's no longer at Nike, but for other reasons, he got he got fired from his job as president of Nike uh, for uh, sexual uh, harassment. And um, anyway, that's, that's a little so Nike. That's the Nike story. So that's a Nike story. Show of hands, how many here want to hear one more story from Bill? Because I'm going to ask him for one more if you want to hear it. One more story from Would me? you? Yes. Would you mind? Which one? The BP story. Oh jeez! Oh God! If you don't, if you don't want to, no. this is what you get for telling him all these stories, this Bill. Is, this is Cindy's request. <clears throat> he knows too many stories, and and oh, uh, there's a reason why I'm keeping it up here. You, you'll find out in a sec. But well, okay. Uh, a long time ago, uh, uh, we were uh, uh, doing some work over. Uh, well, well, a long time ago, the very first textual analytics work we ever did uh, was for a company in Mexico called Paymex. Paymex, Pemex, Paymex, however you want to say it. And uh, uh, what we did was uh, we, we took the log of data that they had uh, for the oil company. And by the way, I don't know if you know how big uh, Paymex is in Mexico, but it's in, in Mexico, they have a, there's one oil company in Mexico, it's nationalized. They don't have a Shell or a Texaco or a Conoco or anything like that. They got one company and, and, and they are a multi, multi-billion dollar company, so they're big. So anyway, we were, we were asked to uh, uh, do an um, uh, analysis of the uh, safety at, at Pemex. And, and I have to tell you, it was pretty amazing because once you started to look at the, the patterns of breakdowns and, and, and things like that that happened uh, uh, at, at, at Paymex, uh, uh, their patterns started to appear. You started to find out certain equipment was dangerous, certain locations were dangerous, uh, even certain job types were dangerous. And, 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 and by the way, in an oil company, the, the danger is, is very real. People don't get their fingers hurt, they get their bodies cut in two uh, by, by all kinds of awful machines. So anyway, uh, we did this, this, this analysis of uh, uh, safety at Paymex. And, and, and so, okay, it was an interesting study. It was the first one we did. We did it in Spanish. By the way, we, we work in English as well as, as Spanish. And, 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 uh, and that was that. So about, I don't know, five or six months later, I happened to be in London. And these guys I was working with in London said, gee, Bill, uh, we know some people that would like to, to hear your story about what you've done at, at, at Paymax. And I said, okay. We'll go talk to him. So one day we went over to British Petroleum 
and and there were three executives from British Petroleum uh, uh, that marched in, and we did a 45-minute show and tell about how you take a safety log and you analyze it and you find out what patterns there are for making things safe, and. And I shall never forget this, but at the end of my presentation, uh, the guy stood up and said, well, Bill, uh, thank you for showing me this presentation at British Petroleum. But you see, at British Petroleum, we don't care about safety. And, and, uh, and, and, and about four months later, the, uh, the oil platform in, in the, the Gulf, Gulf of Mexico. Mexico blew up and killed 11 people, and, and, and they lost over uh, several billion dollars. But uh, that, I, I don't even, even like that story, but it's true. I, I, I did have a lawyer tell me, he said, Bill, he says, if you wanted to, you could become an expert witness against British Petroleum and make a lot of money. And, and I, I thought I had better things to do with my time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. Even I don't care if I could make a lot of money on it. So anyway. don't just remember, he did the Nike and the British Petroleum stuff using his tools with textual ETL, right, Bill? That's right. Yep. So, and JCPenney. Yeah, and JCPenney. So all three of those stories were based on the, the stuff he's developing. He's truly visionary there. So he couldn't have discovered those things without this kind of work. So I just want to point that out. That, that's true. That's true. We uh, uh, that's that's true. So, sorry. So, if we can have everybody stay where you are for a minute or two, please. We got something for you, Bill. Today, I get to prove I can read, where yesterday I messed up. <laughs> no. We wrote it on a paper. All right. Why don't you read it? You got the paper. I got the, the award. Here. Then you're not proving it. Okay, I'll read the first part. <laughs> Vault Alliance Luminary Award presented to Bill Inman on May 4th, 2023. In recognition and honor of his extraordinary contributions to the technology, media, and telecommunications TMT industry in the areas of data, warehousing, management, and analytics, and in honor of his contributions as a friend and mentor to Dan Lindstedt. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. You are my, my man right here. We wouldn't have Data Vault without him. <laughs> Don't make me cry. I'm not going to make you cry. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Truly, it makes for a good prism in a window, but it's, it's, it, yeah, it's, you are most welcome, Bill. He earned it. All those lunches. <laughs> He's the reason the data ball at Lockheed is actually still running today. Without his help, I never would have made it. And, and we've just started. Yeah, and we just started. Just started. All right. so. Thank you. Let me repeat. Yeah, please, please. 